Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 309. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, 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 Valerie. Hi. On today's show, we're going to answer questions about, do any scar creams help reduce the appearance of a scar? Are there anti-aging ingredients you should avoid when pregnant? Can the eyelash thickening technology help the hair on your head? Is Olaplex safe on hair? Should you use a product without an ingredient list? And what type of products should be used on kinky hair? Whoa, that's a fully packed show. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Super excited about it. Uh, So what have you been up to this week? Oh, you know, uh, the little, I I call them the little schmalls. They come by my yard all the time. Uh, Tuxedo Uh had kittens and she had six little kittens and they're just, oh, oh. I took a little video of them. Yeah, I heard you captured one. I did. Uh, one was he was hiding under one of my hasa bushes in Hosa, Hasa. You know that big oh, plant with the greens. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. And I hear this little meow, 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 and uh, uh-huh. he kind of got lost from tuxedo, and so I went and I scooped him up, and then I uh, took him over to tuxedo. So, you know, Aww. oh yeah, it, it's great. So, Valerie, I'm all obsessed with kittens. Uh, What were you doing this week? Well, I went to a trade show for professional beauty people. Oh, you're doing something actually related to the show. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What was cool about it, one, you get to meet all these brands from all over the world and see what people are up to and creating and and having so much hope for when they're talking about their their livelihood and their passion project. But I got to meet a couple of Beauty Brains fans. Oh, really? That's excellent. Yeah, a couple people uh, walked by me and saw my uh, name tag and said, oh my gosh, you're Valerie George from the Beauty Brains. And I was like, wow. Yeah, so shout out to Candace and Stephanie, two huge fans. Uh, Oh, that's very cool. Both with uh, different skincare brands. But yeah, super (laughs) cool to meet them in person. Uh, Candace, I actually, I've known her name in the industry, uh, but I've never Mm -hmm. met her. So it's pretty exciting. Well, that is very cool. That's the same show where you and I met and we decided to start up the Beauty Brains again. Yeah, we did. No, it's a great show. It's really, um, you know, the place to see what's up and coming. And now I'm back home. Uh, It was very hot when I was there. So, Yes, it's hot there in Las Vegas, isn't it? Shall we move on to news? Yeah, let's head over to Beauty Science News. Valerie, you know, when I got in the industry back in the 1990s, okay. that's how ancient I am, you know what the thing that I always heard like the marketing people say about the beauty industry? What's that? They said, you know, the big next trend is going to be men's cosmetics or men's skincare. And mm-hmm. every year it was going to be the big thing, the big thing. And every year it was not the big thing. Yeah, that happens every year. That That's a recurring theme. Yeah, so I saw this article today. It says, no uh, no signs of slowing down. His body sees revenue double monthly for men's skincare, which made me ask, is this really the time that men's skincare is actually going to start to grow? I was going to ask, is this really happening? You know, despite the success of this brand, color me uh, skeptical. They, they say that, uh, you know, no longer do men just 
wash their face with soap or skip skincare altogether. And I'm like, well, they obviously aren't polling my friends or me because, you know, I use a shampoo. Sometimes I'll use more than just water on my face for shaving, but that's about my whole skincare routine. So Uh uh I don't know. Perhaps it's the next generation. Who knows? Um, But speaking of generation, another article that came out recently was that a new generation is driving a demand for ingestible skincare. Ingestible skincare has been one of those things that has been, I don't know, another trend in the industry, right? They, they called it, when I was when I was working at my company, we called it beauty from within. And we don't mean eating your beauty products. <laughs> this is a little bit different, right? No, I think this is doing dietary supplements. Oh, right, not <laughs> eating the ones you put on your skin, right? No, this is getting <laughs> dietary supplements, changing your diet, Actually, it's mostly dietary supplements. Um, And so the idea here is that the demand for ingestible products like that are on the rise, driven by consumers who who have more holistic attitudes about skincare. Of course, this is all coming from a company that's selling supplements. (laughs) So take it with a grain of salt. I mean, if you have a good diet, uh, you don't need ingestible beauty. Yeah, and I just wonder, is there any evidence that any ingestible beauty has a noticeable effect? No, and in fact, most uh, dermatologists or experts in the area actually say you need to use topical products if you want the skin targeted because when you ingest nutrients, vitamins, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, you know, they're not intelligent molecules and say, you know what, I need to go to the skin and do my work. They get dispersed throughout the whole body Um, So if you actually want benefit targeted to your skin locally, you would need to use a topical product, let's say, you know, with vitamin C. Exactly. Like when you eat something, it goes into your stomach where it gets broken down. And if it's a protein or a vitamin or something, maybe it'll get into your bloodstream if it's a vitamin. But if it's a protein, it gets broken down. And so it's really debatable whether your it'll get to your skin and have any effect. It's going to have a whole, you know, effect on your body and any extra is just going to get flushed out. But there is no good evidence that taking supplements can change your body, uh, your skin care or hair care in any measurable way. Now, I have heard people claim that uh, collagen supplements can help. But evidence is scant on that. Right. Let me let me just you know, say. Yeah, there's a couple things coming out, but it's scant and maybe the studies a yeah. little questionable on their well, setup. Well, yeah, let me just say I am highly skeptical of that, especially, you know, the studies that I've also seen you know, are sponsored by the companies selling those products. So, I don't know, color me skeptical on that. It also would have to rewrite the way that the digestive system works. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it is. Maybe I don't know enough biology, but uh, you know, I say save your money and get your collagen from, I don't know, your steak. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I will say is that, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what we say because people will still, we're not going to sway the industry on this one, I don't think. I mean, it is a surging category. New brands are going to keep coming out. Consumers are going to keep buying. Um, but if you're a Beauty Brains fan and you're wondering whether or not ingestible beauty is the way to go, don't be fooled by the beautiful packaging. Yeah. Um, just have a really good diet, get sleep, drink water, apply topical products. Right. And you're At least until 
uh, we come out with the beauty brains uh, beauty supplement. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't spoil it, Perry. You're, oh, you're letting right. the cat out of the bag. <laughs> oh, sorry. Next year. No, actually, I think one of the main drivers for companies getting into this supplement area is that it's just a lot less regulated and you can make uh, sort of more or imply some more wild claims than you can even with beauty products. So yeah, there is yeah. that. Well, well, speaking of that, let's answer our beauty questions for the week. Victoria says, hi, Perry and Valerie. My daughter had back surgery this summer and has a large and noticeable scar. I'm wondering if a scar cream can reduce the appearance of the scar. I know that with time it will improve, but wondering if something topical will help reduce both the redness and feel of the scar. Thanks so much. I recently discovered your podcast and have been enjoying listening to it. Well, thank you, Victoria. A scar. Valerie, do you have any scars that you need covered up? Um, I do. I, you know, I've had a couple, a couple procedures. Um, unfortunately, oh. they're not in super obvious spots, so all my sure. scars are hidden. But yeah, scars kind of stink, right? Especially uh, if they're raised or red or you know in an area you can't hide or maybe they're hard and painful yeah uh, they can be really really tough to deal with and uh, the question is or you know the answer is there's not really a magic trick to scar reduction yeah not if, really no i mean whoever's going to figure that out topically is going to be super rich <laughs> for sure um but yeah I, th- I think it really just depends i know that uh, dermatologists do recommend silicone gels or silicone sheets that kind of, you know, stick to the skin and can, you know, occlude the scar that's going to help right. soften it over time and help it reduce over time. I know people use exfoliants on the scar. Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, exfoliants and, you know, just moisturizing in general, you know, petrolatum is works pretty well for doing that and keeping yeah. the skin sort of pliable. I think one of the biggest things is that you uh, make the scar as small as possible to start, right? You get it. Uh, now, I had, uh, actually, I have a bunch of different scars. One time I hit my arm on a mailbox, and so I have this significant scar there, and my mom's solution to that was to take four Band-Aids and put the four Band-Aids on. I, I really should have got stitches, uh, but now I have a, a pretty significant scar there. Now. But I but you know what my biggest scar is? What? I, I, got, I cut my nose off with a chainsaw, so I have this oh, gigantic... Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. So Now, that one, uh, I got stitched up with plastic surgery, and I had to go through a few rounds of dermabrasion. Okay. Which... which kind of hurt that's like exfoliation but yeah, yeah that's physic- like intensive exfoliation. Ex- exfoliation so like over the year that i had you know when i first got it over the course of a year i had a couple of dermabrasion treatments it actually doesn't look too bad it's not too noticeable unless i stick my scar out at you by squinting but yeah yeah but i haven't done anything extra special for that beyond the dermabrasion but i've been lucky you can also, uh, you know, I noticed you noted redness. You know, I would uh, check with a dermatologist or plastic surgeon and see if um, your daughter's a good candidate for um, laser treatments. And, yeah. you know, I think extreme care patients, uh, you know, I think surgery is also an option. There's scar reduction surgery, which I think is, you know, you know, kind of like the last resort type thing. But um, I would I would start with the silicone or petrolatum. Of course, it's going to take time. Try exfoliation. Um, you know, make sure her skin's covered and protected. 
if she's going to be out in the sun and then check with the dermatologist Those yeah i i think uh, yeah. dermatologist is the key and also keep your expectations low for like topical treatments like yeah. cosmetics can only do so much exactly well anyway victoria we hope that helps and more importantly we hope your daughter has a really good recovery we do well our next question we have an audio question Ooh. Hi, Valerie and Perry. Thank you so much for your great show. I've learned so much already, even though don't know much about chemistry, don't know much about biology, know a lot about porch kitty. Well, sorry, I have some questions concerning post-pregnancy changes as I'm not supposed to do injections while breastfeeding. What anti-aging ingredients would you recommend and in what order should I apply them like vitamin C or hyaluronic acid and stuff? Also, I've seen this Australian brand named Kevin Murphy for hair care and I'm considering using it against hair loss. If you look at the ingredient lists of, say, the full, again, thickening lotion or the body mass product that they claim even contains eyelash thickening technology, do you think this could actually work? It's quite pricey, so I'm not sure if I should invest so much money. Thanks again, and bye from Berlin. Oh, yeah. Hi, Rita from Berlin. Yeah, very <laughs> cool. Um, it, it was so cute. We could hear your baby cooing in the background. Yes, that was adorable. All right, yeah. and she got two questions in for the price of one here. So let's go with the first question. <laughs> well, uh, well, first, Perry, I yeah, do have sure. to say the song. Oh, yeah. Oh, this. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> that was a delightful song. Oh, boy. Chemistry, biology, yeah. and porch kitty. Yeah, we might have to revise our theme song for the show. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's such a great question that comes up so often. Um you know, whether you're pregnant or breastfeeding, people get really concerned about what they should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah, exactly. And so we looked into anti-aging ingredients, and I know you asked, like, what should you use? Uh, but it's easier first to tell you what maybe to avoid. Um, and what I found was generally the suggestion is to avoid uh, ret- retinoids, retinol, mm-hmm. tretinoin, that sort of thing. And also salicylic acids, high levels of both of those uh, can be problematic. And while it's probably a low-risk problem, doctors just say, well, just avoid it if you can. So you probably want to avoid those two. But that leaves open, you know, all the rest of the your favorite anti-aging things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think those are are really it uh generally at least uh you know i will say when you have your formula your cosmetic formula looked at for toxicity generally the toxicologists are looking at the products and making sure that they uh, don't impact reproductive uh, toxicity um in the product so for the most part um you know products are, are pretty safe if they're going through a toxicological review for pregnancy, except for the big ones that we talked about, like the retinoids, right. salicylic acid, hydroquinone. Those are also uh, known as drug ingredients in certain markets. So I would say those are like, you know, extreme cases. But as far right. as cosmetic ingredients go, it's actually restricted uh, to have ingredients that cause reproductive um, toxicity. It's just not typically. Um, allowed. And I think in the case of retinoid salicylic acid, hydroquinone, 
um, it's more a precautionary um, measure yeah. versus, oh my gosh, there's going to be an issue. And in fact, I've even see, seen um, where some doctors say, you know, you can use salicylic acid, you sure, can use sure. retinoids. It's really, you know, a conversation to have with, with the doctor, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I, I do want to add, though, that you know, cosmetic ingredients are not necessarily tested specifically on pregnant women. Um, no. And mostly mm-hmm. because that's not, that's not like ethical. An ethical, right. So, <laughs> yeah. so we just infer safety. And, you know, a lot of that was done through, uh, you know, pregnant animal testing and, uh, you know, other data that they can, can get. But um, so that is where the extra caution comes from also. Because yeah. we don't have a direct, a direct test on that. It just wouldn't be ethical. And it's the same in the medical industry. Um, You know, they don't test a lot of drugs on pregnant women. And in fact, some of the drugs that are safe to use during pregnancy is kind of learned over time. It's not necessarily something that's been studied. And, you know, it's something my doctors have argued about. And I've actually watched them get into disagreements with each other um, (laughs) on the issue. Uh, So it's super interesting. But yeah, you should be safe for the most part. Avoid the ones Perry mentioned. But in terms of uh, the products you can use, uh, pretty much everything else, and if you're still unsure, uh, just make sure you talk to your doctor. But I personally would use the anti-aging ingredients at night, and that is because uh, skin has a circadian rhythm, and at nighttime, anything that is going to penetrate, your skin's a little more permeable at night, um, is going to do so at that time and do the work that it needs to do then. I also would recommend anytime you're using vitamin C, uh, make sure you're using vitamin E with it. There's uh, papers that show a synergistic effect between the two. Uh, you know, there's a really uh, great vitamin C and E serum. I love, I've mentioned it before on the show uh, by Renee Rouleau. Um, oh. I think I mostly love that it smells like oranges. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, it's working. Uh, all the vitamin C in there. Uh, but no, it's a, it's a really nice soft cream to use. Um, you can layer it with hyaluronic acid if you want to, but I definitely would do the daytime. Um, you yeah. can even use vitamin C, um, or excuse me, I would do it at nighttime. You can also use vitamin C during the daytime. Uh, there's also synergistic effects uh, with um, vitamin C and E um, to help uh, prevent from um, sun damage, you know, uh, according sure. to the research. Sure. So it's good to layer under your sunscreen as well, but focus on the anti-aging ingredients at nighttime. And niacinamide might be an ingredient worth looking at if you, if you're if you, if that yeah, works that's for your really skin. good for skin brightening and if you sure. have any hormone related uh, skin discoloration it could be a little helpful yeah yeah there you go good one Perry I'm really proud of you that you mentioned that one oh yeah there it is. <laughs> this is my first rodeo <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know usually you don't you know you're like eh. Uh, right, uh, you know, yeah. Usually, I'm just uh, just wash your face with shampoo. You're fine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's head to that second question. Are you familiar with the brand Kevin Murphy? I was not familiar with Kevin Murphy, but I did look it up. Uh, interesting brand, but it's out of Australia. Yeah, I've worked with a couple people who've worked at Kevin Murphy. It's really cute stuff. You know, nice fragrances. You know, uh, pretty pastels. Yeah. Uh, kind of expensive, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> it's a, it's a but of course, I think everything's yeah. expensive. So. Yeah. So um, interesting uh, about these products, I was expecting to uh, find peptides in them, right? Peptides yeah. typically are associated uh, with eyelash thickening technology. Or and... the bimatoprost, right? That, that drug, yeah. often they'll do like a, one of those mimics or something. And yeah. actually, I had wondered about that 
why why wouldn't the Latisse uh, product, the maker of Latisse, why wouldn't they have made a product for your head? Uh, because presumably, wouldn't it start up the follicles on your head just as much as it would start up the follicles on your eyelashes? If the same growth factors right. were used in the body hair or head hair. Right, and it turns out... I, I don't out, know the answer to that. Yeah. Well, I would say it turns out that if it, it did actually work, Latisse has been around for so long, they would be selling it. <laughs> so obviously, <laughs> yeah, because it's not a ge- it's not a genius idea. It's pretty obvious. So obviously, they tested it and it just didn't work. So um, yeah. that's probably why they're not doing it. And so when you see someone including it in a hair product, uh, they're trying to get like the halo effect of oh, the eyelash stuff works. So maybe if we put it in the hair stuff, it'll work. But not it that doesn't necessarily work that way yeah but that's and not actually, the technology they were working with here though at least uh, in body mass they were uh-huh. using a peptide that was developed by a skincare company skincare ingredient company that allegedly helps uh you know lengthen your eyelashes and helps um new eyelashes grow and uh-huh. um you know they're trying to use that halo effect that you're you're talking about sure in the uh, scalp product. So that was the only thing I could find in body mass. But I, I do have to say, one, peptides are typically used at very low use levels, and it's obvious from the ingredient list it's pretty low here. Yeah. But I would say, you know, it's probably not re- really regrowing your hair back. And in fact, they really just say it's a plumping conditioning treatment. And your hair is going to have thickness, increased body, and bounce. And this eyelash thickening technology just helps strengthen and densify hair. It doesn't really say that it grows your hair back. So very, um, you know, clever language because they're not allowed to say it grows hair back. Um, So they're trying to do a lot of inferring here. But I would say, you know, the producer of this ingredient, just like the Latisse Active, they have not provided data that shows it works on head hair. They, they strictly only talk about eyelashes. In fact, the name of the ingredient is wide lash. Oh, so, there you go. Um, yeah, it's not wide head hair. Uh, so, so, yeah, I would just say uh, probably not, but I think your hair could look really good after using it. Yeah, and that's the key. I think when you see these products, the claim that you take in your mind about the product is often different than what the brand says about the product. You had this notion that if you're going to use this, this is going to make your hair start to grow back and your hair is going to be thicker. But if you actually read through the claims, they're just saying it's going to make your hair look like it's thicker or make it look fuller. And they're using technology. Also, they have, what, rayon particles, which is That's essentially like... That's in the full again thickening lotion, which yes. does not have the peptide. Right. So the thickening lotion is, so essentially they're putting particles, like think of it like putting grains of sand in between each hair fiber and that spreads them apart. And so that makes it look like you got more hair, even though, you know, I hope it doesn't feel gritty when you run your hands through it. Right. Yeah. No, I've actually looked at this product before. It's pretty nice. And I I will say, you know, nothing's really going to grow the hair back except for, uh, you know, minoxidil. So Getting the appearance of fuller, thicker-looking hair is probably as best um, as you're going to get, and it, this would be a good product for that, um, yeah. but not actually going to grow your hair back. It, it will not grow hair. 
Yeah, but great <laughs> question, and um, congratulations on your baby. I'll read the next question. This one comes through us from Elise. She asks, I seem to have a problem finding a hairstylist who will use Olaplex on my hair. I mean, really? That's, <laughs> I find that amazing. I am a military spouse who has moved all over the place in 20 years, including overseas, and every other larger salon would use it. The small town I live in now doesn't have any stylists who like it. I've heard it's not really good for your hair, it causes more breakage. Big city stylists, I've asked, say these naysayers don't like using it because it's expensive and takes longer to process your hair. Can you enlighten us on Olaplex and if it's safe or not? My hair is fine and breaks easily when I get it lightened without it. I've always had my hair lightened or bleached, but didn't used to have so much breakage before. Thank you. You know, I never hear anything bad about Olaplex online, so it was a little surprising to me to hear, you know, a little negativity about Olaplex because they're so good at the positivity online. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, there are some people who are a little overusing it, and you can find some of that stuff in the hair forums. Um, I have heard that use over use over use can lead to hair having more breakage. I have heard that before. And I also know that it can impact lightning. So it, you have to either increase your developer or increase your processing time. And in, in my mind, you're just increasing the damaging conditions to hair right. to get the same end result. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, are you negating any bond builders? It's not just Olaplex, right? Sure, sure. Um, but, I, you know, I have heard this stuff before, so I'm not surprised that Elise is having that issue. I mean, maybe part of it is because it is expensive um, yeah. you know, and the, you have to do a little bit of work around, but... There is a faction of stylists that don't believe in bond builders, and, and that's just the truth. Well, you know, they're, they're suitably skeptical of marketing, which is good to see. Now, I do wonder, though, she says that uh, it's shown to cause more breakage. I wonder about that, because this is specifically put in there to stop the breakage or stop the extra breakage. The whole process, though, of bleaching your hair is going to lead to breakage whether you're using a bond builder or not and so yeah. i wonder yeah. i wonder could you really tell the difference that oh now this is causing more breakage than versus if i didn't use it and it would just have the regular amount of breakage <laughs> i don't know i think it's hard to tell but i've heard that stylists think it causes breakage use over use not the first yeah. time you do it the first time right. you do it, it's fine but you use it eight times on someone they start to get really brittle hair um, and it breaks. And then part of me is like, are people increasing the frequency in which they go to the salon because they have a safety net of a bond builder? Right, exactly. And so, you know, they're just getting more and more frequent exposure. That's another thing to think about. Yeah, so it could be there. As far as safety goes, you know, Olaplex has safety tested their stuff. They're soon to be owned by a big company, I'm sure. Um, But... Yeah, they're they're a big enough company where they're not playing loosey goosey with uh, safety no. of ingredients. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm sure it's all safety tested and safe. So from that an- angle, but as far as leading to more breakage, I, I like your hypothesis there. People are getting their hair colored more frequently because they feel like they're protected. But even when you're using these bond builders, 
it's not a perfect protection. Every time you color your hair, you're going to damage it more than before you had it uh, done. So that's going to lead to breakage and, and brittle hair. Yeah, exactly. And I'd actually like to uh, take a minute to thank Elise for her service as a military oh. spouse. Uh, it's a hard job. My mom did it um, until uh, my dad retired from the military. That's right. And you moved around a bunch when you were a kid? I did. Yeah, oh. I did. And it's a, it's a tough job. So thanks uh, for doing that. And thank you for your husband for his service as well. Thank you. All right. Our next question is another audio question. Wow, look at that. We love the audio questions. All the way from Nepal. Hello, Perry and Valerie. And see you one more time. All the way from Nepal. I do love your soul a lot. And it's one of my favorite shows so far. It literally has changed my view towards the cosmetics. I have become a mindful consumer. Thanks a lot. And I had listened to your show where you guys talked about the last serum, whereby I came to know that it's just a loss leader. So I thought not to fall for it. But I, as I was surfing internet, I found this lady best in Nepal was selling her own signature lash serum where the ingredients was not written and she was swearing by her own products that her lashes are growing after she started using it. Then I asked her about the ingredients in it. She refused to tell me the ingredients. I got shocked and told her that I want to buy but I need to know what's in there. Uh, and, and I'm not asking about the formulation. Please, could you tell me the ingredients in it? And then she was like, she has put seven different herbal oils with Vaseline. And uh, if you are allergic to pollen, don't use it. So I got shocked. So I wanted to, um, I thought to ask you guys, is it safe to use something like that where the ingredients are hidden? And can oils really help with the growth of hair and lashes? I, I really want to know. Please help me, guys. Well, thanks for that question. Yeah, Valerie, uh, it does remind me. You know what the capital of Nepal is? What? Kathmandu. Oh, yeah, I did know that. <laughs> but I go. don't know that from my memory palace. I know uh, that because you reminded me, and I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Three months later, and I still remember them all. So <laughs> maybe Albania. it's long-term memory now. <laughs> Albania. Oh, Albania is... Tirana. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is Herrera. Well, I don't know if that's right, but I tried to pick the beginning and the end of the alphabet oh, so yeah. that you were, you know, pretty far along that, in the palace. That was good. Although, you know, the first one, um, the beginning is Afghanistan. So. Oh, yeah. Okay. There they <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about the lash oil? Yeah. Yeah. Um, scary. Right, a, a, li a little. This this story was a little unnerving to me. So uh, the way I understand it is, she stumbled onto this lady who is selling eyelash growth oils that she okay. makes up on her own, and she refused to reveal what the ingredients are in there. And very dangerous. She, yeah. And she wanted to know, should I buy these? <laughs> and yeah. what is what is your advice, Valerie? Well, my advice is. No, because I'm not <laughs> nice. aware of a geography where it's allowed to sell consumer products without disclosing the ingredient list. And the, the point is consumers need to understand what they're buying and have full disclosure on what they're being exposed to. You know, interestingly, though, when I first started in the beauty industry, Canada did not require ingredient lists. 
Very interesting. And now yeah. they've come up to speed, right? Exactly. Yeah. But even in the United States, they only started doing ingredient lists in the late 1970s. So Exactly. But for a good reason. Consumers exactly. need to so. know what they're buying. And the other thing I will say is there is an exception. Uh, professional products in the United States and Canada don't need to have ingredient listings on them oh. if it's available to professionals only. But I would still say almost every major professional brand is putting ingredients on the packaging because it's required in other geographies. And it's still just good practice to let someone know what they're being exposed to. Right. And that's the reason to show ingredient lists. That They don't want to show ingredient lists so chemists or other people can just copy their products. That is sort of a side thing that happens. But it's mostly put on there so consumers will know what ingredients they're going to expose themselves to in case they have an allergic reaction. So it's, it's a safety thing. And I would especially say this is critical with anything with the eye area because you run the risk of getting an eye infection, becoming blind. Right. Um, who knows what's in that product, right? It might seem harmless, you know, seven different herbal oils, but uh, really you're not sure. If this is a product that is actually working to stimulate hair growth, uh, that sounds like a drug. <laughs> I'd yeah. be really worried. Yeah, so uh, my recommendation is if you ever come across a product that doesn't have an ingredient list or an ingredient list that's totally misspelled and looks really like, whoa, this doesn't look right, I probably would pass on buying that product. I would agree. And when somebody is being cagey about the product and they don't want to tell you anything about it, they think that they're protecting some sort of secret. Uh, but really what they're doing is they're putting the consumers, I think, at risk. And uh, you shouldn't, you should, I would avoid people who are selling things where they're not going to disclose the ingredients that are in there. But look at this, Perry. She also got a second question in there. I love it. Do oils help with lashes? Oh, that is a good question. That came up, I think, before there was a question about whether castor oil can grow your hair lashes or something. Yeah. And really, uh, we don't think so. We, we mentioned you know, in the previous question and in a few episodes that there are some peptides that have been demonstrated according to the inventors of the peptides to stimulate growth of eyelashes. But as far as plain old oils go, no, they probably don't increase lash growth. What they can do, however, is lubricate your eyelashes or your eyebrows, or they can help condition the skin um, underneath the hair. Right. And so if that will help prevent them from falling out or breaking off, you know, that's one thing to help uh, keep your brows or lashes looking, uh, you know, thicker and fuller, uh, but they're not going to actually tell the follicle to produce more hair. Yeah, exactly. Think we got time for one more question? One more. Hi, Beauty Brains. Thank you for what you're doing with this podcast. It is truly life-saving. Whoa, look at that. I have kinky hair and was wondering what type of products we should look for according to texture, hair width, uh, finer coarse, porosity, and density. This comes to us from Nanaba. Oh, well, great question. Uh, Perry, whether you know you worked at a salon brand like me or a you know mass brand like you, hair products are pretty uh, consistent across the board in how consumers shop for them or how they know what product to buy. Yeah. The brand that I worked on, when I first started, we had VO5 had normal and they had extra body. 
and then they had perm color treated and then they got all crazy and started going more direct to hair types but usually it was a normal um, extra body was presumably for people with thinner hair and you wanted volume and then there was perm colored where people with colored or chemically treated hair and you would use that one honestly all the products were pretty much the same with little tweaks and color <laughs> and fragrance but uh, that was the way that the marketing of it was done it was you look at the the hair type and then you, you spe- specify a formula for that type of hair exactly hair type what's the problem you have and the solution uh, that that product's going to give you. It's formatted the same way pretty much no no matter where you go. So in thinking about that, uh, definitely um, you have to look at who the product is uh, catered to. Is it someone with fine hair or thick hair? Meaning are the actual individual uh, fibers of your hair, are they like angel hair pasta, like very skinny, or are they really big uh, like capellini uh, noodles if you're a pasta lover like myself? Oh, capellini, is that like spaghetti? Uh, yeah, yeah, like a okay. thick spaghetti noodle, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, what's what are you looking for? Are you looking for your hair to have more volume? Are you looking for it uh, to maintain its uh, wavy texture? Are you looking for it to be straight? Are you looking for it to have shine? So I, I would start there. And then from there, it's really not about the product itself although it plays a role, but I think it's about the routine that you have. Yeah. Because, um, and it's the same with skincare. It's, you know, not necessarily one product. It's what are all the products uh, that you're putting on and what are you doing uh, to the hair to get it to look uh, the way you need it to. So let's say you have hair with the texture of male leg hair, like I do. Uh, (laughs) It would be considered coarse hair. It's pretty wavy. Uh, someone like myself, if I wanted to keep it wavy and soft, I probably would use a shampoo and conditioner designed for my hair type. And then maybe I would use a leave-in cream to help enhance the wave that was designed for coarse hair uh, with a wavy end result. And if it was too frizzy looking after that, I might use an oil uh, for the hair to afterwards tame it down, when yeah. it's dry. Yeah, but if I had fine hair, uh, you know, maybe I would use a shampoo. Uh, I probably would condition a little differently. I might not apply as much to my hair because my hair can't tolerate a lot of conditioner. Uh, most people with fine hair can't, or they need a special conditioner designed for fine hair that's not going to be too attracted to the hair because then it's going to weigh it down. I, I think you've talked about that before. Um, yeah, or they might period. contain something like a cyclomethicone, which is a silicone. It'll stay on your hair, but then it'll evaporate off of your hair over time. I- Exactly, yeah. Then I probably might not want to put any styling products on it afterwards wow. unless yeah. I wanted to um, flat iron my hair. Maybe I would use the thermal protectant, but generally people with fine hair uh, want to put as little product as possible on it. Maybe they would use a volumizing um, thing, uh, like the Kevin Murphy Full Again Thickening Lotion, uh, you know, which helps thicken fine that- hair. This episode not sponsored by Kevin Murphy. <laughs> yeah, but just, you know, we're tying it all together. Right, sure. Um, you know, but, you know, again, it's about that routine. It's not necessarily about the individual products you use, although you do want to use stuff designed for your hair type, uh, but it's about the routine that you have and how frequently um, you're taking care of this. If you have hair that's too uh, coily or kinky, you, you might not want to wash it all the time because... Um, you know, the, the water, the mechanical motions on the hair can cause a lot of hair breakage, uh, but you'll want to lubricate the hair more often. And 
your hair might be able to tolerate that, might be able to tolerate a ton of oil. So it's a really complex question, um, but you just have to look at, okay, you have kinky hair. What's your hair problem and what's the solution you're looking for and build your routine from there. I would add that the industry does not have universal solutions to all of these things. And so what you might find is that a company that is selling products for, uh, you know, curly kinky hair does it in a different way than another another brand that is selling one that is labeled the same. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, when I worked on VO5, we had normal, we had extra body, and we had perm color treated. And honestly, those products were not that different. So if somebody thinks that they're getting you know, a perm colored thing specifically for perm color. It's really just the marketing story that's selling that. And so some brands are more just, you know, they slap some words on it and they change the formula. It's just a little tiny bit and they market it that way. Or there's some brands who actually go through and they test their products specifically on different hair types. And they say, oh, this one works the best for this hair type. And so it's really a, a bit of experimenting you have to do just because something is labeled for fine thin hair or for kinky curly hair doesn't mean it's really that much different than their standard formula depends on the brand you're exactly right yeah yeah (sighs) well perry uh that's not me yawning because i'm bored um i'm pretty tired (laughs) because i drove back from vegas today so i think we need to close off the show today did you win big money in vegas no but i got some really cool products (laughs) oh Excellent. Yeah, yeah including uh, actually, uh, I walked by this booth and I was like, "Hey, I know you guys." And I, it was a Project Reef sunscreen, really cool brand, um, out of Hawaii that are doing a lot of things very local um, mm-hmm. to make sure that they're selling a compliant sunscreen that uh, you know is designated as reef safe. Um, you know, we've talked about that before on the show, uh, but yeah, I was gifted uh, very generously by some brands. Oh, that through. was very yeah. cool. <laughs> Well, that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, if you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review? That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. You know what? We're also on social media, Valerie. Where can people find us? On Instagram, we're at the Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at the Beauty Brains. We have a Facebook page. And on TikTok, you might say we're antisocial because we haven't started it yet. <laughs> but we do have it. <laughs> you know what? The Beauty Brains <laughs> are also on Patreon. We appreciate all of our patrons for keeping the show going and keeping it ad-free for you. If you want to help support the show and keep us ad-free and get your questions priority answered, just go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrain and subscribe at any level. Well, that's it, Perry. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens.